Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini, three-part spirit. One part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. Add a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this episode of Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's widget-friendly world. Our rally cry, or the closest thing we have to a rally cry, is awaken, oh my people, do not follow the path of the sheeple, And do not give your God cause to weeple. And why is that our rally cry, you ask? I will tell you. It is our rally cry because we, my darlings, are glorious space adventurers, traveling the universe, having multiple incarnations, boldly creating new and exciting worlds, messing them up royally, and then scrambling to realign them with supreme cosmic intelligence. As we know, when we are aligned, we are co-creators of marvelous experiences. And when we're off track, wallowing in the shallows of our petty ego-driven agendas, as we do, we live half-lives, don't we? We are unfulfilled. We long for connection with something greater than ourselves. And whatever you want to call the divine or supreme cosmic intelligence, that connection That relationship is the most important relationship we can have because it created all of us. Each and every being in the cosmos is a manifestation of source energy. So if our relationship with it is a good one, then by default, our relationship with all beings will be good. Or at the very least, so much more civil and manageable, and that can only be a good thing. So welcome to the show, my darlings. Welcome. Your questions and comments are an important part of this show. In fact, that's why we started this show, so that people could ask questions without fear of being bullied or ridiculed. So people could have a little rant if they wanted, as long as they kept it polite. So people could post their comments or, you know, tell me and I will post the comments for you. We want to share. We want to be open. How do we feel? about life, the universe, and everything. So often we find that people don't open up because they've been shut down, they've been ridiculed. And we've lost that sort of beautiful thing that we used to have when I was a school child called respectful debate, respectful discourse, where we would, you know, go against other schools and have a debate on a subject, but winning the argument. That's not what it was about. It was about expanding consciousness And, well, you know, I'm six decades old. 
I'm not that old, so it wasn't that long ago when we really did respect each other's point of view. And we'd like to bring that back. So send me questions, comments, rants, uh, whatever you think will illuminate your fellow man. Email me at arnie at arnieabadician.com or snail mail, which still works really well. Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, United States of America. Now, no subject pertinent to the evolution of mankind is off limits. Someone asked, how do you choose the emails and all of that? Well, I pull the emails and the letters daily. I review them. Yes, I do review them. Nobody wants to sound like a complete idiot on live radio. Then I put them in a large goldfish bowl. And unless there's something I particularly wish to address, I just pick them at random during the show. So I've had a look at them, but I don't really know which ones I'm going to pick. And that makes it more fun for me and it makes it more fun for you. So let's take a look. Uh, usually at this point, I go off into some sort of pontification. And I'm sure at some point throughout the show, I'll be doing that. But right now, since I have received more questions than usual, I will dispense with my usual introductory pontification and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, get right onto the questions. So let's pick one up. From the goldfish bowl. And our first question comes from a chap called Oliver, who says, Dear Arnie, I agree with you that we, as a race, miss the obvious. Please then make it easy for us. How do we overcome fear? You must admit that is how they get us every time. Campaigns of terror, one after another. It's contagious. When people are locked in fear, they freeze. They can't think or act. So what do we do? Thanks for the question, Oliver. Good question. Well, let's say we overcome fear by understanding exactly what fear is. So what is fear? Is it, as the dictionary says, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous? likely to cause pain or a threat. Here's my my thing on fear, because, you know, this is my life, talking about fear. Fear, I believe, is irrational and unnecessary. I don't believe we as humans were originally coded to feel fear in the face of a perceived threat. Threat requires that we be calm and rational So we can make the best decision with regard to our safety, with regard to our survival. I believe we were originally coded to enter a heightened state of awareness. So we perceive a potential threat and we process it. Instead of freezing in place and letting the incoming emotional intelligence overwhelm us, Our senses sharpen. Just like in the movies, time appears to slow down as we assess the risk and what action to take. So that's freezing in fear versus a heightened state of awareness. If primitive man on this planet froze in fear every time he unexpectedly encountered a woolly mammoth or some wild animal, Well, the wild animals would quickly outnumber all the men. We wouldn't have any humans. They'd all be eaten by the 
you know, that the animals would eat all the humans that were frozen in fear. So freezing in fear serves no purpose. So it can't have been. It couldn't have been part of our original cosmic coding. But entering a heightened state of awareness does serve a purpose. It empowers us to make rational decisions regarding our survival. So what changed? Well, somehow over time, as societal interaction became more complex, we lost the ability to process our emotions in a functional manner. We created and gave in to the greatest illusion of all, this thing called fear. And as our numbers grew, it did not take long for tribal leaders or world leaders to exploit that particular personal and collective dysfunction. So we're in the midst of it now, aren't we? People are quite literally locked down in fear. If we do some simple arithmetic, review multiple news sources and research their funding and deploy common sense, it could not be more obvious that we have little to fear infection-wise from this current shamdemic. And using the same calm yet alert and aware mindset, it could not be more obvious that we are in the midst of a very well-planned social conditioning experiment. Yet people are frozen in fear. Fear is a corruption of our original coding. And it's dangerous because it spawns secondary emotions. As creations of supreme cosmic intelligence, which we are, and as co-creators of this planet, we have no good reason to fear our own creations. And if we find we have created nasty juju, and I think we can all agree we have created nasty juju, the mature course of action would be to review our decisions from a place of stillness, soul still to hear God's will. That all makes better sense to me. So the next time you feel frozen in fear, catch yourself and remind yourself that you are experiencing a glitch in the matrix, an error in your original programming. Breathe deeply, slowly and purposefully to remove the disruption in your energy anatomy caused by the glitch and remind yourself that you are the creator of your experience. How you choose to respond to a situation is recorded on your personal program. It is intel, intelligence. Emotions and how we process them are a source of intel, the major source of intel for us on this planet. If overcome and frozen in fear is a constant, then that's the suggestion your program will bring up for consideration every time you face a perceived threat. We can overwrite the glitch. Coding is fluid. We can overwrite the glitch, the corruption, by reminding ourselves that when aligned with our higher selves, every pleasant situation, that should be every unpleasant situation, has a sensible solution. So thanks for the question, Oliver. I could uh, go on uh, for hours on fear. I do, actually. I teach whole workshops on it. But just remember, people, it's an illusion. It's not real. So let's pick something else. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's see. Here's one. Here's a question from a listener in Ashland, Oregon, a lovely part of the world. 
Hey, Arnie, do you ever comment on Ben Forford's posts? Do you know also if there are any objective journalists left on Earth? Hmm. Well, okay, Ben Forford, I read them, but because I disagree with a good portion of what he comes up, so no, I, I don't comment on them or particularly spend any time on them. And I don't subscribe to him either, but somebody is good enough to send me, uh, you know, their subscription. So uh, I had a quick look through his last one, through Forford's last one, and he maintains that Putin is a servant of the Satanists. And that is not by any stretch of the imagination true. And that's really damaging information. Um, if he believes that's true, he has every right to say it. But so much of Fulford doesn't resonate with me. Uh, as for objective journalism, well, not in the mainstream, I don't think. But um, I personally like to check in with a chap called John Rappaport, R-A-P-P-A-P-O-R-T, um, he's one of the last of the still living old school investigative reporters, and he has cracked open many a scandal. Uh, his books are worth reading. Uh, what are they? Uh, the Ownership of Life. No, sorry. The Ownership of All Life. How Mega Corporations Own the World. The other one is Oklahoma City Bombing, The Suppressed Truth. Then he also has one called The Secret Behind the Secret Societies. And AIDS, Inc., the scandal of the century. So John also has a website and a blog and a newsletter you can sign up for. And I should mention he's 83 years old. So hurry up and get to know him before he gets fed up and decides to check out. All right. Thanks for that uh, anonymous person from Ashland, Oregon. Thank you. All right. Let's pick one. Here's a snail mail postcard. I do love those. Uh, this is from a... a a young lady, I think, from the handwriting uh, in Petaluma in California. And Jenny asks, Annie, why do corrupt people get away with all they do? And how do we stop them? Well, Jenny, uh, plain and simple, they get away with it because other people let them get away with it. And who are the other people? Well, the rest of us. Some do not see the corruption. We have to be honest, some people just don't see it. And those are the ones who are truly asleep. And then some see it, but do not understand the severity of it. Other people see it, but turn away from it because of fear. Some see it and are bribed to turn a blind eye. And some see it and do not care because they hate themselves and everyone else. Those people do exist. And then let us not forget that people have been carefully conditioned to brand those who do see corruption and speak out against it as conspiracy theorists, a phrase coined by the darker elements of the CIA's propaganda machine. And that was a phrase designed to ridicule people who ask too many questions uh, and <clears throat> to throw off track all those who get too close to the truth and sniff out the corruption. So there's many reasons, Jenny. I think a lot of it is people just don't engage. You know, citizenship is not a spectator sport. I always say this. You need to get involved in your community in one way or another. How do we stop them? Well, don't, don't stop asking questions. 
Continue to hone your critical thinking skills. Don't stop researching. Don't stop holding those in office accountable. Do not obey immoral laws. This is a very difficult one. Right now we're seeing police officers come out across the, the nation and stand up for the Constitution and then they're being put on leave and they'll probably get fired. Do not obey immoral laws. That's a hard one. I would also say, Jenny, when you grow up and have children, <laughs> closely monitor your children's education. Always keep an open heart and an open mind. And do not give in to the agenda of political correctness, which is designed to erode the intellect and stop us asking questions for fear of causing offense. And above all, as a shaman, may I say, develop your intuition. It's your God-given connection to all the astral planes of the cosmos. Engage in creative visualization. Develop that part of yourself because that is how we formed the cosmos. In the beginning, it was all energy. Physical came when we woke up one morning and hit our heads, hit our etheric heads on something tangible which were our thought forms, which we could then take and make physical. So corrupt people, they get away with it because they've woven so many veils of illusion around their actions. And in those veils of illusion, they planted countless landmines designed to explode when someone gets too close. And the veil of illusion and the landmines, well, that's what they are. They're nothing more than an elaborate illusion. It's trickery. So a soul-centered being with a warm heart and a focused mind can destroy the illusion, not just for them, but for many others. So to thine own self be true is a wonderful phrase to meditate on, Jenny. You meditate on that and ask yourself, what does this statement mean, to thine own self be true? Because the only part of us that's real is our divinity. So when we say to thine own self be true, we mean your alignment with your divinity is the purest intention and the purest information. And from that vantage point, you will not succumb to trickery. I thank you so much for the question, Jenny, and I thank you for caring about your fellow man. And I hope you have a very long and very happy life. OK, let me have a little sip of my drink here. Um, we're plagued with allergies here in the beautiful state of Oregon. We wake up every morning and inhale masses of yellow dust and then we can't breathe for the rest of the day. So a good time to have a drinky poo, I think. All right. <clears throat> Here's another email from somebody called I am concerned from Medford in Oregon who asks. Dear Suburban Shaman, I am new to all this shadow government stuff. And to be honest, Researching it all has put me in a cloud of deepest depression. But I am determined to educate myself. I would like to research V-A-C-C-I-N-E-S next and wondered if you had a recommendation as a starting point where I can get the biggest bang for my buck. Hmm. Okay, dear, I am concerned. Whoever you are, darling, do not be depressed. I mean, don't deny that it's depressing. Let it wash through you. But remember, we do this because it's about awareness, not anger. 
Once the initial outrage has passed, and it will, I promise you, research becomes easier. We want to become aware, not anxious. <clears throat> we want to vibrate above the dysfunction around us, the dysfunction around us above that so that we can see clearly what is going on without buying into it. Yes, we're going to get angry. We're going to get pissed off. We're going to be outraged. Breathe. Let it come through you. Let it, let it flow through you. Resolve those emotions functionally. So to start out, I would recommend visiting um, a website that is spelt V-A-X-X-T-E-R dot com. And there you'll find a ton of good information, including a blog by a lady called Dr. Tenpenny. A wealth of information there. I also recommend going to YouTube and subscribing to Ty Bollinger's channel, T-Y and Bollinger like the champagne channel. And that's called The Truth About V-A-C-C-I-N-E-S. Some excellent work there by Ty Bollinger, his wife, and his team. And there are also a couple of videos you can get. Um, and they are spelt V-A-X-X-E-D, uh, Volumes 1 and Volumes 2. Now, that's plenty to be going on with. There's a whole world of information out there, but you asked me for a jumping-off point, and I think that these are good. So both the great starting points, and they'll give you many rabbit holes to explore – a bit of advice, if I may, don't overdo the research, Mr. I am concerned. Don't be like those people who start an exercise regimen and go all gung-ho for it and then burn out and give up in a couple of weeks. I've done that in the gym about a 100 times. If you have been asleep for 20 years, you will not catch up in 20 days. So pace yourself. Take your time. Awareness. It's a lifelong project, isn't it? And if you find yourself close to the overload button, step back, chill for a few days and keep in touch, would you? Let us know if you find anything you feel we should be made aware of, because that's what the show is all about. Folks, folks, my darlings, we must ask ourselves, I think, especially today, why so much information about the ACCINES has been censored. If it is just a load of crazy bunky junky, too crazy for any sane person to consider, it would be left alone, wouldn't it? But if it's censored simply because it is contrary to the official narrative, then there must be something very fishy going on with the official narrative. May I remind you about Stalinist Russia? May I remind you about Hitler's dream? The doctors and scientists that speak out against the official narrative, they don't do it for a laugh. They jeopardize their careers and they also risk their lives. How many doctors have died after exposing farmers' corrupt agendas? Well, it's not one or two. Why don't you go and check it out and prepare to be horrified? <clears throat> when we call people like Mikovits and Butar purveyors of false information, we have to ask ourselves, why would someone who has invested so much time and money in building their career throw it all away by spreading false informations? What could they possibly gain from such an action? Because, you know, notoriety 
Well, it doesn't grant you tenure, does it? And it doesn't pay your bills. On the other hand, people like Fauci and the Gates of Hell, these people, they stand to gain billions of dollars from the agenda. Mikovits, Butar, and the others who question and research farmers' crimes against humanity gain nothing. They even censored Mikovits' book, so she can't even sell that. So good for her, though. She made it available as a PDF, so the word would get out anyway. My darlings, honestly, something is very wrong here, isn't it? The blending of corporate and government has begun in earnest. The privatization of world affairs is well underway. I talk about this ad nauseum because it's part of the deep state agenda, and the deep state agenda is the only issue we have right now because it permeates every aspect of our lives. This show, Metaphysical Martini, it's written, it's produced, and broadcast in America, land of the free, home of the brave, a country I am proud to call home, a country I waited two and a half years to get into as I applied legally for my green card, a country whose sacred purpose, unity through diversity, is close to my heart, and currently, today, a country in which I must spell out words on the radio to avoid censorship. And that, my darlings, is not something I can accept. The establishment of censoring research. If they have their way, a simple conversation will be a minefield of political correctness. People afraid to have a conversation lest they say something that will offend someone's weak and feeble mind. And I don't mean weak and feeble in a derogatory fashion. I mean descriptives, weak and feeble, not designed to cause offense. They are adjectives. Why is it racist to say that the VIRUS came from China, but not racist to say that yummy sweet and sour pork came from China? Chinese is an adjective. A word or phrase naming an attribute added to or grammatically related to a noun to modify or describe it. American is also an adjective. Do not let these feeble-minded minions in the so-called free press color stories according to the recommendations of their paymasters' perceptual engineers. Do not let these paid-for servants of the daily lie con you into becoming embarrassed to call yourself an American, because that is New World Order globalist agenda. That's what it's all about, making people ashamed to be part of a tribal group separating us from our soul sovereignty, our national sovereignty, stripping us of our local color and traditions in favor of turning us into a homogenized, flavorless goo of compliant foot soldiers ready to don masks and do the state's bidding without question. My darlings, that is not life. That is not the path of a cosmic space adventurer. That is inhabiting a warm body cut off from the creative soul spark. The unconditional love, because we don't know what else to call it, that is the creative energy of the cosmos. That is the 1% dominating 
the 99%. While the 99% say, oh gee, thanks for keeping us safe with your GMO foods, your toxic medications and your surveillance microchips. Thanks for telling us what we can eat, when we can eat it, how we should eat it and how and when to dispose of it. Thanks for telling us where to live and how to live. Thank you for telling us what to think and when to think it. Thank you, above all, for relieving us of the pressure of being agents of the divine cosmos. Free will? What is that? Who needs that when you can rely on the state for everything? When your state governor says no more gatherings until we can test everyone and V-A-C-C-I-N-A-T-E everyone, for heaven's sake, peeps, follow the money. Is your state in financial trouble? Hmm, would a COVID bailout help the governor out? We have never quarantined for healthy and purposefully crashed the economy, as far as I know, over a virus. Peeps, wake up, smell the overpriced shade-grown coffee. We have allowed ourselves to be bit players in someone else's story. Bit by bit, we have bowed our heads as our civil liberties are rolled back. Bit by bit, we shrugged our shoulders as taxes were piled on top of taxes. Bit by bit, we forgot why our pioneer forefathers and mothers came to America in the first place. Freedom from tyranny. And tyranny takes many forms. I say, if we don't take steps to restore America to her original purpose now, we will wake up one day and find ourselves in that Orwellian nightmare. And I know a lot of people can't see that coming. And I know a lot of people may go, my God, she's being awfully dramatic. Then I would just respectfully point out that you have no idea how the world works and who runs it. And I will also point out respectfully that your naivety does not contribute to the betterment and the evolution of mankind. That's what it's been like the last few decades. So today, May 13, 2020, you know, I'm happy to say I feel the awakening of we the people reaching that critical mass. I really feel it. Resistance, people asking questions. So stay strong, my darlings. Keep your motivation pure. There is no room in our hearts for hatred when pursuing honorable ideals. Remember, unity through diversity, freedom from tyranny, that is America's sacred purpose, to achieve that and to show the rest of the world that it's absolutely possible. Our focus determines our reality. And I think we're doing pretty well right now. So let's get on with it. Hurrah. Well, okay, I guess I did pontificate after all. But hey, it's my show. And if I can't share my thoughts here, then where would I share them, I wonder? All righty. So let's take another question from Juanita, who's from Barstow, California. But I need a little sippy poo, so I'll be right back. <coughs> it's not that I want to have a drink. It's, you know, it's the pollen, the pollen. I need to keep hydrated. Mm. Lovely. Dear Arnie, why do socks go missing during laundry? 
And why is it only one sock that goes missing and not both? And why don't undergarments like bras and knickers go missing? Why is it always socks and why always one? Well, Juanita, we did say no questions are off limits on this show. So I guess we should address that. I do some laundry from time to time, but I'm not really the laundry expert in my house. So I think that they probably just get lost in the dryer, not the washing machine, but I could be wrong. Now, when I think about it, both the dryer and the washing machine, they create a vortex, don't they? With all that agitation and round and round. So you could argue that socks go through the portal into another dimension. But then we're still left with the why only socks and why only one? Hmm. I honestly don't know the answer to this one. So I channeled the great spirit of Maytag. And this was his response. If you do not want to risk losing your socks, place them together in a mesh bag or pin them together using a large stainless steel safety pin. Problem solved. It is possible for socks to go missing both in washer and dryer. I did not know this, great spirit of Maytag. Do tell me more. In top loader machines, socks can get lodged under the agitator or get stuck under the wash plate. Sometimes when the undergarment gods are not on duty, they could even get lodged in the space between the inner tube and the outer tube. And if that happens, you will probably never see your socks again. In front loaders, there is a clean out area where the filter is, and apparently it is common for socks to find their way there. So says the great spirit of Maytag, who recommends that cleaning this area um, should be done after every five or six wash cycles. The great spirit of Maytag also says overloading your machine contributes to MSS, um, missing sock syndrome. It is also possible for socks to get trapped in the rubber gasket lining of a machine. So check this area, too, and wipe it out to avoid icky mold. As far as losing them in the dryer goes, check the lint trap. Socks may seek refuge there from time to time. And there's more. Another common problem with dryers is static cling. Your socks may have attached themselves to other items of clothing or lodged themselves into the corner of a fitted sheet. On occasion, says the great spirit of Maytag, socks can get lost behind or in between appliances. Well, there you have it. I must confess I am disappointed. I mean, this channeled information is far too mundane, far too hands-on, far too sensible. I was hoping to hear about a secret realm, a frozen magical wasteland where errant socks kept Tupperware lids warm and cozy. Oh, well, well, now we know where to look when something's afoot or in this case, not on a foot. Thank you, mighty spirit of Maytag, for helping us out with that one. Let me see. Are we should we finish on that one with the questions and answers? <coughs> Let's see. There's one more that's peeking out from the. From the goldfish bowl here. Let me take a look at this one. Ah, oh, yes. This one is a comment and it's from Rick in Aberdeen. Uh, not sure which Aberdeen, so I won't attempt a stupid Scottish accent. Rick says, 
Hey, hey, Rick. Did you know the president of Tanzania, John Magifuli, submitted several samples for COVID testing? All came back positive, but they were not human samples. One was a fruit, one was a sheep, and the other a goat. He did this deliberately, putting human names on the samples. This is proof of an alternative agenda, one not connected to people's welfare. Thanks for your comment, Rick. Actually, yes, I did. I read about this and I had a bit of a giggle over it. I think anyone with common sense and any awareness has figured out that this whole scenario has nothing to do with health or people's welfare. It's about profit and power. And I think that's it for questions, answers and comments for this week's show. So thank you to everyone. Uh, there's more in the bowl, but keep them coming. All right. Now it's time for a different segment and it's Tarot A Go Go. A little shenanigana with the major arcana using the Rider Waite deck. So let's see. What did we do on the last show? I think we featured number 16, the tower. So today we will feature number 17, the star. And what a lovely card this is. So let's take a look at it. I get a warm, loving feeling just holding this card and looking at it. There's a beautiful woman on there. She is naked and she has a lovely figure. I wouldn't dare go naked in public like she does. So nakedness, that's nothing to hide. She has nothing to hide. She has one foot in a pool of water and one foot on the grass. And the environment around her, well, it seems healthy. It seems lush. She's holding two pots, one in each hand. And at first glance, it seems she takes the water from the pool and pours it onto the grass, sharing information from the cups of consciousness. But if we look a little closer, she appears to be pouring water into the pool. So where's the water coming from? Is it coming from the ethers, the three cups of consciousness, conscious, subconscious and superconsciousness? Above her head is a lovely bright star and it's surrounded by seven smaller stars. I assume the seven smaller stars are representations of the chakra system, although uh, having been tra trained by Eastern people, I can assure you there's a lot more than just seven chakras. It's a very tranquil card, isn't it? It says all is well with the world. I'm doing what needs to be done to keep all in balance and harmony. What happens with this bright starlight? Well, we're illuminated, aren't we, by starlight? And when we're illuminated, we're inspired. We're hopeful. The lady in the star, she exudes an air of grace, of beauty, charisma. She's elegant, she's poised. She's in the perfect mindset for expansion. What should we expect when we pick the star? Well, clearly it's a positive card. It suggests that things are about to go well for us. It's a card of good fortune. The light is watching over us, guiding us. Now the star often comes up when we're about to be offered a new opportunity for growth. It could be work-related, or it could be personal spiritual growth. It could be any of those things. It comes up when we're contemplating a new course of action or study. 
it comes up when you're expecting the results of an exam or the results of any project. And in the upright position, it always means congratulations. You did it. It went well. It's going to go well. It reminds me of that lovely song. Um, when you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star, as dreamers do, fate is kind. She brings to those who love the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing. And I think that sums up this card very, very well. But, you ask, Ani, what if we pick this card in the reverse position? Well, let's turn it upside down and see. Ooh, the pool of water and all the pots of water just drained out, didn't they? So, if we pick it in the reversed position, could it be we're being a little too stubborn and not taking advantage of help being offered? What else can we pick up when we look at this star reversed? Well, we feel a little disillusioned, don't we? Perhaps, perhaps we made some bad decisions and are finding it difficult to move past them. Perhaps we're having difficulty accepting our mistakes apologizing and moving on. We need to find the courage to regroup and find a new way of doing things. We need to shed the pessimistic mindset to move away from this pool of hopelessness, to shake off the mistake and stand tall once again. Now, something else that this card could represent Often it's an indicator of poor health. So if you are, yeah, if you've got some symptoms going and you don't want to look into them, you might just look into them. Catch things early, I say. It's always best. And the reverse position can come up if you're overly anxious about making a decision. If this is the case, spend some time in prayerful contemplation. That can be useful. Just you and the divine. No one else will know the contents of your mind. It's you and the divine. No one else will know what causes your heart to tremble. Just you and the divine. That is the beauty of prayerful contemplation. And after your contemplation time, when you are at peace and you've received wisdom and guidance from the divine, take the star, turn it to its upright position. And contemplate how wonderful life will be when seen from this angle. Number 17, the star. A lovely little card. And a reminder, my darlings, that when you read the tarot cards, it really isn't all about, you know, buying the deck that you like and then getting the book and then learning a spread and then going to the book and going, this means this, this means that, this means the other. Tarot is a long, lifelong process. You and your cards need to make friends. You need to sleep together, literally sleep together. Wrap your cards up in silk and put them in your pillow for at least 33 days. Form a relationship with your cards. Look at them. Handle them. Talk to the people in the cards. Let the cards come to life for you. And every summer I have a couple of uh, tea and tarot classes. 
look out for those on my website because those are fun because uh, it's me. Of course, it's fun. But you also get teeny tiny cucumber sandwiches when you come to my classes. Oh, what could be better? All right. Number 17, the star, a lovely card. What's next? Ah, oh, yes. This episode, it's time for the cryptic mystic, where we have our way with someone dead who likes to pray. <laughs> I might have to change that sentence. It just doesn't sound as healthy as I want it to sound. Today, we feature St. John of the Cross. 1542-1591, well and truly dead, or as I call him, Johnny C. So who was this chap, and why are we giving him airspace? <clears throat> well, he was born uh, Juan de Yepes, uh, that was his name at birth, uh, and he came from a pretty poor family, tried out a whole bunch of trades, but he was quite bright, and he entered a Jesuit school, and then was admitted into the University of Salamanca, where he pursued holy orders. And what's interesting about Johnny C. is uh, St. Teresa of Avila was very formative in his life. And it was she, I think they met at the University of Salamanca. And so it was Teresa of Avila who persuaded St. John of the Cross to join her in the Carmelite order and to reform the Carmelite order. They wanted to turn it into something rather strict, I think. So St. John of the Cross, when you think about him, for those of you who think about mystics, it's all about struggle and suffering. And that's why they wanted to reform um, the Carmelites. So I think he entered the Carmelite order in 1568. And he always said, if you're going to know God, Turn not to the easiest, but to the most difficult, not to the more, but to the less, not towards what is high and precious, but towards what is low and despised, not towards desiring anything, but to desire nothing. He really believed that suffering was the key to his relationship with divine unity, and he heaped suffering upon himself. He fasted a lot. Um, and he beat himself up, quite literally beat himself up. And if that wasn't enough, all of his, you know, his fellow friars and uh, his fellow uh, monk people there, um, you know, they actually, they thought he was a nut job because they enjoyed being monks, but they had a certain amount of comfort and freedom and pleasure and good food, you know, in, in, in the monastery and the order. And John... He didn't want any of that. He wanted everyone to have a strict and austere life. So, and they resented that. I would resent it too. So I think it was 1577 when the church authorities actually kidnapped him and they imprisoned him for nine months in this teeny tiny cell, a windowless apparently six by 10 foot cell. The ceiling was quite low. He couldn't stand up all the way. And it was a stone cell. There was no heating in the winter and there was no ventilation in the summer. And he was very malnourished. And once a week they took him out and beat him up. And then they threw him back in. And he was very ill as a result of this treatment. Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether he enjoyed it. I, maybe this was a little bit too harsh for him. 
But this was a very dark time for him, clearly. And apparently, by the light of a three-inch hole high in that little wall in that cell, he wrote his two greatest poems, The Spiritual Canticle and The Dark Night of the Soul. And these are, oh my gosh, these are extraordinary pieces, actually, that talk about how darkness takes you into the mystery of God. So after nine months or so, he managed to escape. I think what he did is he tried to pry off the door hinges. He he worked on them every day, loosening them, loosening them. And then one day, boom, he got out of that place and he was very ill. He spent about eight months recuperating. And then he wrote The Ascent of Mount Carmel. And that was his explanation of the mystic way, how a mystic should conduct themselves. So for John, let me explain um, the path of the mystic, it meant living with uh, an almost all-consuming desire to know nothing but God, to leave everything, abandon everything that did not contribute directly to his relationship with God. He wanted to shed the illusions of the world completely because he said they distorted the reality of union with God. One of my favorite poems of all time, actually, is Dark Night, Dark Night of the Soul as we know it commonly. And in this, uh, John just goes on about extinguishing everything in his life except the desire for God. And I will read a very raw translation of it for you. One dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, I went out unseen, my house being now all stilled. Sheer grace. In darkness and secure, by the ladder disguised, in darkness and concealment, my house being now all stilled. On that glad night, in secret, for no one saw me, nor did I look at anything with no other light or guide than the one that burned in my heart. This guided me more surely than the light of the noon to where he was awaiting me. And I knew him so well, there in a place where no one appeared. O oh, guiding light, O oh, night more lovely than the dawn, O oh, night that has united the lover with his beloved, transforming the beloved in her lover. Upon my flowering breast, which I kept holy for him alone, there he lay sleeping, and I caressing him, there in a breeze from the fanning cedars, when the breeze blew from the turret, as I parted his hair, it wounded my neck with its gentle hand, suspending all my senses. I abandoned and I forgot myself, laying my face on my beloved. All things ceased. I went out from myself, leaving the cares forgotten among the lilies. If you want a more romantic version of that, there's a Canadian folk musician, Lorena McKennett, who adapted this and set it to music and called it Dark Night of the Soul. And it is exquisite. I recommend you look that up and, and play it. You will be transformed. So whenever we're looking at mystics and trying to read, you know, they're always talking as if they're having sex. You know, it's, it's not the love of God. It looks like they're having sex. It sounds like they're caressing each other and all of this. 
it's clearly it's not sex. He's not having sex. He is in love with the divine. And there is no other language that he can think of, no other emotion that gives him that total union than to compare it to the union that two people very much in love enjoy together. So in his mind, this is the very first step of knowing God is purification. When he talks about my house being now all stilled, what he's talking about is his body, the passion and the coding that's inside the flesh. And then the soul is ready for the second stage, the illumination, the the blissful state, that heightened state of awareness that you enjoy when you are communing with God. And he really has given everything to the experience of merging back into his pre-embodiment state is the way I feel about this. You know, the wounded neck, the suspended senses. This is, he feels he has an absolute loss of God in this world. He has a sense that everything in this world has to be obliterated so that you can join with God. Sort of like a spiritual crucifixion, if you will, is almost necessary in his mind to rejoin the divine. And only then, only then, do you even have the right in his mind to seek God for God's sake. And not for the sake, not for what God brings you, but to seek God simply for God's sake. I would term that just wanting to understand the pure potential of source energy from which I came, the pre-embodiment potential. He spent, I think, another decade after he recovered uh, championing reform, his particular brand of reform, and then he retired. Uh, he found a small village somewhere. I think it was a village where they had treated him particularly badly, uh, and then he you know, decided to live out the rest of his years there. And he died um, unromantically from a bacterial infection, I think, that started with a cut in his foot. Suffering, man, it's such an interesting concept, isn't it? So many of the mystics, they feel the need to quite literally purge the humanity from their bodies, don't they? And not just by fasting, but with physical brutality, with physical pain. As if they're saying the flesh is dirty and does not honor the God within. Some say... Well, Arnie, it's a primal longing of the soul to be free from the human experience. But the soul loves to create and explore. The soul doesn't actually suffer. It's not capable of suffering because it doesn't have ego. It's the pain body, the coding in the human pain body. That's where we get the illusion of suffering from. Well, I'll let you make up your own minds about the value or not of suffering. But I was very happy to introduce to you today St. John of the Cross. Check out his writings, Spiritual Canticle, Dark Night of the Soul, The Ascent of Mount Carmel, and The Living Flame of Love. Super stuff. I do love me a nice mystic. Okay, very quickly, upcoming classes and announcements and events. Folks, 
thanks to the current sham demic scenario, which may go on for a while, blah, blah, blah. I'm being proactive and moving out of my Wilsonville office at the end of this month. But don't panic. There is no disruption to my services. I have already moved all classes to Zoom and Skype. Energy work and counselling can also be done just as effectively by Zoom, Skype or phone. I'm willing to make house calls at no extra charge for those who live a reasonable distance from Wilsonville. And if you live further out and prefer one-on-one, call me, email me. We'll come up with a mutually beneficial plan. If I was in this for the money, I'd be rich already, and I'm not. So we'll work it out. I don't observe social distancing, and I will continue to work on location for as long as is needed. Upcoming classes this month, Saturday, May 30th, 5 to 6.45 p.m. Pacific via Zoom, my monthly cosmic conversation. The subject this month is how to communicate with spirits. That's always fun. And the cost is $15, which is a bargain. And the details are on the website. Uh, What else? Yes, watch out for new and updated classes this summer. Details will be posted on the website by June. And if you're bored out of your heads and you have nothing better to do, Sign up for my newsletter, Monday Messages. They're short, they're sweet, and like me, they are full of buttery goodness. You get a heads up on what I'm doing. I have to look at Monday Messages to figure out what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. They're only once a month, and you get silly poems in addition to my pontifications and some jolly pertinent information. And what else? I had something else. Yes, if you're interested in my mentorship or spiritual mastery programs, uh, I'm believe I'm going to run a special on those next month. So check it out and then drop me a line for details. Save some moolah, why don't you? All right, I think we're getting close to the hour. And oh, my gosh, hang on. Okay, my darlings, I just finished my drink. So that means that's it for today. When I finish my drink, that's the end of the show. I do hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it because I do love you all and I had a blast. This week's real life martini, well, I'll be honest, it was just Rose's lime cordial on the rocks topped up with club soda because I was a naughty girl and I went off my diet and I put the weight back on. So now I'm back on my diet. Now, peeps, be aware. Don't just stare. But remember, as we discover and are forced to hear some very hard truths in the days to come. Let's process our emotions in a functional manner. Let us not give in to the mean-spiritedness promoted by the media. In the face of lies, deception, slander, stand tall with spirit, with honor, in integrity. Light trumps darkness always. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.